news stories come and go. Big one moment, gone the next, always competing for space in our newspapers and news feeds. However, every now and again, news comes along that defines a decade, defines a generation, or even defines a century. But once, news came along that changed the world, altered the course of history, and transformed the future. The future we're living in 2,000 years later. This month, we are going to look at a selection of stories from a book in the Bible called the Acts of the Apostles that would have made headlines, stories that make sense of how a small bunch of guys from a Middle Eastern sect found themselves at the center of a movement that would defeat one of the most powerful empires ever known and become the largest religion in the world, transforming lives even now on a daily basis. This movement never became old news. In fact, it might be the most important news of all time. So join us for the news cycle you need to hear this September. Now to our big story of today, lifelong cripple takes up dancing. Temple girls were amazed this afternoon when they witnessed the miraculous healing of a cripple. Let's go to our Jerusalem correspondent. Beggars of many disabilities are a common sight for all those who frequent the temple. Their familiar cries for money are viewed both as a harassment and also an opportunity for the more pious of temple attendees to demonstrate their generosity through the sharing of their wealth. However, this afternoon for one such beggar, all that changed. Two men who witnesses have confirmed were Peter and John, disciples of the recently executed cult leader Jesus of Nazareth, were making their way to the temple for afternoon prayer via this entrance when they were stopped by a cripple asking for some small change. Initially the cripple was disappointed when Peter announced that they had no money to give him but that disappointment was to turn to joy. One witness who was close to the incident recounted Peter's words to me. This is what he said. I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then reaching down, Peter helped the man to stand who within seconds was walking, then jumping and praising God. Obviously, this miracle has caused quite a stir. Crowds gathered quickly and Peter took this opportunity to talk about Jesus in whose name he had performed this supernatural wonder. Many of you may recall that I previously reported on a recent incident where followers of this Jesus, accompanied by a strong wind, spoke to crowds gathered for the Pentecost festivities in many different languages. And Peter spoke there of his belief that Jesus was not in fact dead, but had risen from the dead and was the long-awaited Jewish saviour. This miracle today seems to add credence to that claim. 
back to the studio. Thank you for that amazing report. We understand the Jerusalem authorities are looking into the veracity of this miracle, and we believe that they have arrested Peter and John and have them in custody. We will, of course, continue to follow this story as it breaks. If you've got a Bible, do turn to Acts chapter 3. Um, Acts is the fourth book uh, in the um, New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, no, fifth book, sorry. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And we're going to look at number three. And let's pick up that story that we just heard uh, on the news uh, report. I'm going to read chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Are these appearing on the screen? No. Okay. That's because I never told you what passage we were looking at. That's... <laughs> Too busy recording my videos. Thank you, Dan. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. So this was a time uh, when they would all go to the temple in Jerusalem, a massive, magnificent structure um, where they would have an afternoon sacrifice and where they would gather uh, for prayer. And please note, this is very important for the story of Acts, is that this these followers of Jesus were still Jewish. Okay, they were still part of the Jewish religion. They still went to the temple to worship and to pray. They were fully part of everything that was going on in the Jewish religion uh, at that time. So we have Peter and John. Uh, Peter, in particular, was one of the leaders of that early movement going to the temple to pray. Now, a man crippled from birth, verse 2, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was, he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Some of the common sites, um, begging for, um, for money, which would have been, for a Jew, that would look really good if they gave money to a cripple. So going to the temple and giving a bit of cash, a bit of loose change to these people in need would look really good for any pious Jew. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him. And this is a guy who would have been used to people just looking the other way. Do you do that? You know, those charity, there are those charity workers in the town that try and stop you as you're walking down the town. You're like, do not make eye contact, and they might not talk to you. His, this beggar, his hopes must have soared because Peter made eye contact with him. And then Peter says, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, obviously. He thought he was going to get some money, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. You can imagine him going, but what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and an amazement at what had happened to him. So what we have here is the first miracle since Jesus ascended into heaven. 
So the beginning of Acts and also at the end of the Gospels, we have Jesus who was executed, he's resurrected, and then he ascends into heaven, leaving his followers without him. And then we have recorded the first miracle that happens since that happened. And this says something really, really important. I think this story tells us two really important things. And the first one is this, is that the work of Jesus has not finished. The work of Jesus has not finished. The miracles did not stop when Jesus went. And actually, what we could more accurately name this book is not Acts of the Apostles, but the continuing acts of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. What Luke is trying to show here is a continuity between the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels and the ministry of Jesus, which is now recorded in the book of Acts, working through his followers, through the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a really key thing as you come to, to study this book of Acts, this is what it's about. This is not some separate thing, some separate movement. This is Jesus working uh, in the world. Because Jesus said, when he left, I always find this a bit strange. Jesus ascended, he disappeared into the heavens. His disciples were left there, looking up into the air, going, what on earth are we going to do now? But before Jesus went, if you called in Matthew, he says, don't worry, I'll be with you always. Wait a minute, you've just gone. We haven't got you anymore. Now, in the book of Acts, Jesus says, don't go anywhere because I'm going to give you a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to come to that in a moment. So something really, really key to remember when reading through the Acts of the Apostles is this is the continuing ministry of Jesus. It's just done through his followers. And guess what? Many of you are followers of Jesus as well. So what does that say about what our ministry is called to be? But there's a second thing, which is more subtle, it's more hidden, but actually in some ways more important and maybe more important to us. I'm going to kind of unpick what that is now. My question to you is, where did this miracle happen? It, it wasn't in the temple. It was outside the temple, but you had the time right. Yes, three o'clock in the afternoon, roughly, outside the temple. So, you know, the temple, I've always said it was this big, amazing, magnificent stone structure uh, built to glorify God. But it was a little bit more than that. Actually, it was built to house God. It was God's dwelling place. The God that created all the universe and created and sustains life could be found within this building. And it was, in some ways, it was a bit of a, a filtration process. At the center, you had this building, which was called the Holy of Holies. And this is where God dwelt. Okay. And around it, you had lots of different courts. The first court would have been the filter that stopped anyone that wasn't a Jew or anyone that wasn't deemed physically clean. So cripples, for example, uh, anyone, maybe le lepers, you had skin diseases, they weren't allowed into that first court. So that was kind of the, the first filter. The second filter got rid of all the women, okay? So if you could, you're a Jew, but you're female, so you can stay out here. The next filter got rid of us all the ordinary men, 
okay? And only the priests could go in. And finally, when you get to the middle, the Holy of Holies, where God dwelt, and it was separated by a curtain, only the high priest, so the, re the really top priest, could go into there, and only once a year on a, a day called Yom Kippur, only could go in once a year, one person once a year into the Holy of Holies. God was completely separated from the world around. But something has happened here, and it's something really important about the fact that this miracle happened outside that whole filtration process, that whole, that temple. And we're going to just back up a little bit to um, chapter 2, and we're going to look at something really important happened. This is what they call the birthday of the church, is the day of Pentecost, although Pentecost was a Jewish festival. Something happened, and we um, mentioned it in the news report. So Jesus has spent 40 days before he ascended into heaven teaching his followers about the kingdom of God. Something was going to happen. And Jesus says, as I already mentioned, to wait because they're going to receive a gift. And then there in chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as a spirit enabled them. So here we have something significant happening. Like it's so significant, we call this the birthday of the church. But when Luke talks about fire, what that would have done for those first readers, it would have triggered some memories of the Jewish scripture that many of them would have been familiar with about, okay, okay where have I heard about fire before? So here are just a few times when we see fire occurring uh, in the Old Testament. First one, there's a guy called Moses who gets called to go to um, Egypt and rescue God's chosen people, the Israelites, from slavery. Can you remember, any of you who know your Bible well, how God appeared to Moses, who hadn't met God before? How do you appear? A burning bush. A bush on fire, but didn't seem to burn. And Moses was told to do what when he approached the bush? Take his shoes off, because it was holy ground. He was, a, he was coming into the presence of God, symbolized through a fiery bush. Okay, so Moses meets with God. Moses then, through a process you can read next, is this um, rescues um, the nation, well, God rescues the nation of uh, Israel from Egypt. They come out and they come to Mount Sinai, which is where um, God, uh, Moses met God with a burning bush in the first place. And Moses goes up the mountain and is given the Ten Commandments. And God's presence descends on the mountain. And they talk about there being smoke and fire. There's fire. People were afraid. They talk about a consuming fire. The glory of God was like a consuming fire that spread all over the mountain. They were afraid to come Near. So that's another incident of fire. Actually, when the nation of Israel were journeying through the wilderness to the land that God had promised them, how did God guide them? Pillar of yeah, fire, pillar of sort of cloud smoke during the day, fire at night. And it, and it led them, and every time they stopped, 
it went into what was called a tabernacle, which was a tent, which was basically the middle of the temple, the Holy of Holies, a place where the Ark of Covenant where, uh, was put and where Moses could go and meet with God. And that fiery pillar would stop over the temple, a sign that God's presence was in the presence was in the midst, midst, the middle of the nation of Israel who camped round the tabernacle. The tabernacle would later become the temple. So once again, we have this, this picture of fire being the presence of God. One more. King Solomon, probably the richest um, king of the nation of Israel, decided to build a real temple. Not a tent, not a tabernacle, but a temple. And we can read of the time they went to dedicate this temple to God. And we're told the glory of God filled the place. How did it fill it? By fire coming down from heaven. And the glory going around. God's glory is once again represented by fire. So when we read these words of Luke in Pentecost, for those, many of those reading, they would have had pictures of God's presence symbolized by fire um, coming into this place. Now, what happens to the fire? If we look at verse uh, 3, what happens to the fire? Hmm? Comes down. Does it just fill, does it just fill the, the room like it filled the temple? It separates and it goes to where? Each person. And that's really, really key. The presence of God, represented by fire, came to the building, separated, and went to each individual follower of Jesus. Take that... And couple it with this miracle that happens outside the temple. And what you see is a significant shift in how we understand where God's presence is located. No longer is it located in the center of a magnificent building, separating the world from God. Where is it now located, Luke's trying to tell us? In each of his followers. If that's not explicit enough, Paul later to the church in Corinth says to them, do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? So it's slightly more hidden, but actually in some ways this is a more important way of, of, un, of something we need to understand as we read through the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is not just a story of some guys that went on missionaries, missionary journeys. It's a template for what the life of a follower of Jesus should look like. The book of Acts tells us the stories of ordinary guys who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They had God's Spirit residing in them. They became temples of the Holy Spirit. They made Jesus Lord of their lives, and they were led by the Holy Spirit to all over the place. And Luke is saying, this is their story, but it could be your story too. And really it comes to this question for you. If, I don't know whether you, are, you would label yourself as a Christian or not. And 
It's really for you guys who have made that decision that you are a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. And the question is this, who is Lord of your life? In other words, who's in charge? If you were driving, if your life was a car, who would be in the driver's seat? Who would be holding on to the steering wheel? Is it you? Is it someone else? Or is it Jesus? Because here we have some guys in the book of Acts who knew who they were. They were a complete mess in the gospel, to be perfectly honest. If you read this, the stories of Jesus, the disciples just don't seem to get it. And it's not until the resurrection of Jesus that suddenly it starts to make sense. Suddenly they realize how it all works. Jesus has spent 40 days explaining what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom. Finally, it's dropping into place. And finally, once they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they were ready to go out there and live their lives out as citizens of the kingdom of God, telling people about Jesus. They were willing to follow wherever the Holy Spirit led them. And as you read through, which hopefully you will do this month, you will see time and time again, the Holy Spirit leading these people to somewhere else or to speak to someone or to do something. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. No longer in the driving seat. I'm willing to go where the Holy Spirit leads you. And in this story we read in chapter 3, we have Peter and John knowing their identity and knowing the authority they had to bring healings, not through their own efforts and power, but through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who promised them he would never leave them. See, Jesus promised a life of fullness. But what does that mean? There's an advert at the moment which um, talks, I think it's a travel company, and it's narrated by Ewan McGregor. And um, basically it's about, you know, go and fill your life with experiences. Go and travel the world. That's what a, a full life looks like, a life full of experiences. And he's saying, as opposed to a life full of possessions. Okay, new TV, new whatever, new car. Don't spend money on that. Spend a life on experiences. That's what a full life is. I think maybe some of us thinking, yeah, maybe I should go off and do something, explore the world a bit, get some of those experiences, spend my money on that. Is that what Jesus is talking about? More experiences, more adventure, go to more places. No, Jesus is talking about your life having purpose. Then maybe like you, you, Luke, you can look back on your life and go, you know what? It was a mess. Things did, did not go right. Things went all wrong. There were times when I made big mistakes. There were times when I got things right. But actually, I can look back and I can see the purpose in my life. I can see that golden thread working through my late life where despite the mess, God has brought order and has brought purpose and direction to my life. He has brought me to a destination. But that only happens if Jesus is in the driving seat and you are full of the Holy Spirit and following his prompting. And what does that look like? 
Well, unfortunately, when you read the book of Acts, you realize it's messy and it's risky. Um, if you, um, we do a thing called going deeper. At the end of each month, we look back over our sermon series and the panel uh, discuss things on YouTube and you guys can join in. And we had one on Sunday for our, our most recent sermon series on bear hunt. And we talked about this. What does it look like to go on adventure? Okay, what does that mean for to be a follower of Jesus? I just want to pick up on that because many of you wouldn't have seen that. And, and really we talked about it being the difference of going on a cruise ship and going backpacking. Anyone be on a cruise? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, my last church, they all seemed to go on cruises. They never invited me along. I never, I've never been on a cruise, but they all seem to go on cruise. And it looks so good. I love the idea of being on a floating hotel and just stopping off at different places and going for a nice little adventure around Rome or Venice or, or other places and then getting back onto your nice comfy cruise ship. See, I want my life to be like that. I want to be safe and secure. I want to be waited on hand and foot. Jen, are you watching? Um, <laughs> You know, I want to have nice foods. I want to be entertained. I want to feel safe. And then every now and then have that guided adventure where I'm kept safe, but I get to have some nice experiences. Wouldn't life be nice if it was like that? But Jesus doesn't offer us that. I hate to say it, but Jesus doesn't offer that. Jesus offers you something that's more akin to backpacking. Have any of you done backpacking? Oh, yeah, a few. Well, you know what? You just, you go, you've got a bit of money, you've got a backpack, and you're just going to, you've got a bit of a plan, but you're not entirely sure how it's going to work. You're going to get a job, maybe picking Brussels sprouts um, to help fund you as you go along, but you're not entirely sure how it's going to be. Your parents are there going, oh my goodness, what have we just done? And it's an adventure. And actually following Jesus is a bit more like that. Of actually, he's told his disciples, don't even take the backpack. That's how extreme it is. You're not quite sure what's around the corner. You've got a general direction, you've got a general plan, but you're just going to go with the flow. That is what Jesus is offering. It's risky, it's unsafe. We're in the first few chapters of, of Acts. Uh, one of the first church leaders called Stephen gets stoned to death, which is great, isn't it? I'm not looking forward to that one. But actually, it's a life full of purpose. I want each of you to have a life full of purpose. Not experience, not material goods, as nice as that would be. But actually, I want you to have a life where you can look back and go, you know what? My life meant something. And I can see where God has guided me. Let's just take a time to be quiet. We're going to, in a moment, just there will be questions that come up on the screen. But I just want you to take this time just to think, okay, was Martin talking a load of rubbish? Or has God spoken to me through something uh, this morning? So let's be quiet. Let's watch the, the questions and just use this time to reflect. Is your life full of adventure or a bit boring? What does a life lived to the full look like?
What's more important to you, safety and control or risk and adventure? Are you holding back from making Jesus Lord because you are worried where God might lead you?